What is up, Ewu crew? Today, we're taking a look at the events of April 26, 1986, a date that was forever seared into history. We will be discussing one of the best-known disasters of the 20th century, an event remembered today as the worst man-made tragedy and the biggest nuclear catastrophe in all of history. If you enjoy true crime, mysteries, and true stories, be sure to hit the like button and subscribe. Now, let's get into it. In 1986, Chernobyl, Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. The first nuclear reactor in the area was built in 1977, and before April 26th, the nuclear power plant was beginning to look like a beacon of USSR success. However, there was no way to predict the catastrophe that would occur and result in altering the fate of those at the plant, as well as countless others in the surrounding areas for generations to come. At 1.23 a.m. on the 26th, the nuclear plant attempted to conduct a fairly routine test to see how the plant would function during a power loss. The test would last less than a minute. In total, only 36 seconds. The plant was shut down in order to conduct the test that was meant to check how the power from the steam turbines would transfer to the backup generators. During the test, reactor number four experienced a raise of output power. At first, this was expected. However, a series of missteps resulted in unimaginable consequences. 25-year-old Leonid Taptunov was the senior reactor control engineer and that night, he was on shift at Reactor 4. He was highly trained and knew better than most how difficult the reactors were to maintain. However, he had only been in this position of senior control engineer for two months, and he had accidentally missed a step when he took control of the reactor, which caused the power output to dramatically fall. Tuptanov had suggested shutting down the reactor completely and therefore ending the test, but his superior manager, Anatoly Dyatlov, threatened him to increase the power to continue the test. The workers then inserted control core rods into the reactor, which were made of boron carbide to reduce the power output. However, due to another error, the control rods had the graphite in the middle, meaning that they did not decrease the energy when expected, and instead, there was a sudden, unpredicted surge of power, which caused an immediate steam explosion. The explosion cracked through the reactor, blowing the upper casing up through the ceiling. The first explosion was closely followed by a second. This one caused by the built-up hydrogen from the previous steam explosion. The deputy chief engineer, Anatoly Dyatlov, had been supervising the test, and he claimed that, had he known that the graphite was in the center of the rods, he never would have instructed the workers to continue the test. Some now speculate that the reactor was already unstable prior to the test, and that the control rods did very little to cause the disaster. The initial explosion was massive. Bursts of fire, the steam explosion, and large clouds of radiation were released as high as a kilometer into the air and the surrounding areas. The radiation was described by the Berkeley physics professor, Dr. Richard Muller, as like shrapnel from a bomb. Around 5% of the radioactive reactor core was deposited across Europe, 
and some of that radiation was found all the way in Sweden. Shockingly, the Chernobyl power plant was not equipped to deal with any sort of disaster. Normal regulations required there to be a containment building, which would be a gas-tight structure surrounding the nuclear reactor. It was normally a dome reinforced with steel and concrete that would prevent anything radioactive from being released into the surrounding area from the reactor. The Chernobyl plant had no containment building. If there had been one, the disaster would likely not have caused any deaths. Initially, the Soviet Union responded to the disaster by trying to hide the exact magnitude of the destruction from the rest of the world, and even those in the USSR. In fact, it actually took them about a week to finally make an announcement to the world that the explosion had occurred, and that tons of radiation had leaked into the wide area surrounding Chernobyl. The USSR government forbade people from leaving certain areas and actually cut phone lines to repress the spread of information. However, it now appears that this drastic measure may have actually backfired on the oppressive regime. As today, much of the truth of what happened that fateful night in Chernobyl still isn't entirely known. Because the Soviets employed such harsh measures to maintain secrecy, we may never know some of the true details of what occurred. Andrei Glukov worked at the Chernobyl plant and had heard the loud bangs of the explosion in the early morning hours of April 26th. Following the booms of the plant's ceiling being blown off, there was a brief cut in the power. It wasn't until two days later when Andrei himself went into the plant and saw the glowing reactor core that he realized what had happened. Even as an employee, he hadn't been told of the explosion until later. He said about seeing the core, This was the moment that I realized this was not an accident. It was a disaster. Two workers at the Chernobyl plant died from the explosion within hours of the disaster. The body of one of the men is believed to actually still be inside the plant. But the casualties grew in the following weeks rapidly climbing to 31 as people succumbed to acute radiation syndrome from the leaked radioactive material. Over 200 of those who responded to the disaster later died, most from cancer, usually thyroid cancer. It is important to note that the exact death toll of those affected by the Chernobyl disaster is still widely contested today. Though the UN acknowledges at least 4,000 people were killed as a consequence of the explosion and radiation, other estimates bring that number as high as hundreds of thousands who were affected and died from exposure to the radiation. Other reports claim that about 50 people died as a direct result of exposure to the radiation released. Many of them were workers at the plant, but many didn't actually succumb to their illnesses right away and the latest death was counted in 2004. However, still other numbers, such as those estimated by Greenpeace, think the number of direct deaths could eventually be as enormous as 93,000. The United Nations Scientific Committee on the Effects of Atomic Radiation has also found evidence of 15 more deaths from thyroid cancer caused by exposure to radiation from the Chernobyl disaster. 
A whopping 6,500 other non-fatal thyroid cancers were identified to be caused by the radioactivity. However, the UN has now released the statement, there is no evidence of a major public health impact attributable to radiation exposure 20 years after the accident. Overall, there is no conclusive or universally agreed upon number for just how many people died in association with the Chernobyl disaster. There may never be any agreement. Many of those who died were the brave firefighters who had run into the disaster area to try and control the raging fires that broke out in the power plant. These firefighters were exposed to extreme levels of radiation and dozens of them later died from radiation poisoning. The only way to fight off this kind of extreme exposure is through a blood transfusion, which none of them received. In total, 27 firefighters died from radiation sickness. One of those firefighters was Vasily Ignatenko, who was one of the first to arrive after the reactor exploded. He was only 25 when he responded to what he believed was a routine fire. Vasily and the other firefighters showed up without any of the necessary equipment that may have kept them safe from the radiation. He had been living in the city of Pripyat, which is near the Ukraine-Belarus border when he received the summons to help stop the rapidly spreading fire. Pripyat was built specifically as a place for the Chernobyl workers and their families to live. About 60,000 people lived there at the time. Ignatenko's wife, Lyudmila, later lamented that Vasily and the other firefighters were going straight into the hands of death. They all drove out in their usual uniforms, not wearing chemical protection, not having anything but a layer of clothes against what was an unimaginable dose of radiation. They didn't even put on the canvas gear that would have slightly helped to protect them. The firefighters arrived at 1.28 a.m., just five minutes after the test began and the explosion occurred. Along with the other firefighters, Vasily immediately hurried up to the Chernobyl plant's roof in an attempt to extinguish the graphite fires that were spewing flames into the open air. They apparently tried to beat down the flames and put out the burning graphite by kicking at it with their feet. As highly trained firefighters, it only took them a few hours to put out those fires completely. However, the flames inside Reactor 4 remained burning for almost two weeks. The brave team of firefighters couldn't have known that each moment ticking by as they toiled away at the fire for hours was spelling their demise. Vasily died two weeks later from severe radiation poisoning. His passing wasn't easy, and in fact, he seemed to improve for a short time before he began to rapidly deteriorate. Lyudmila said that when she visited him daily in the hospital, he had times where he seemed to be recovering even feeling well enough to stand up from the bed and give her three carnations he had kept under his pillow for her. She later said these were the last flowers he gave her. Horribly, Vasily was essentially burning up from within from the radiation, and his doctor said that his nervous system and his skull were both extremely damaged. Lyudmila described it as, his skin started cracking on his arms and legs, he became covered with boils. When he turned his head, there'd be a clump of hair left on the pillow. The burns started to come to the surface, 
in his mouth, on his tongue, his cheeks. At first there were little lesions, and then they grew. It came off in layers, as white film, the color of his face, his body. Blue, red, gray-brown. Lyudmila said she tried to joke with him to make him feel better by commenting that it was convenient he no longer needed a comb since his hair was falling out. The loving couple met as young teenagers in 1979 before marrying in 1983, and they had been together ever since. Lyudmila had actually begged the radiologist treating her husband to let her see Vasily. At the time, she didn't mention that she was pregnant. In fact, she actually lied to the doctor and told him that she had already had two children. The doctor reportedly warned her not to touch him and that if she cried or showed too much emotion, they would kick her out of his room. She chose to ignore many of the warnings from doctors to stay away and would move the protective plastic around him in order to see Vasily. She recalled, But I was 22, madly in love with my husband. With every cell of my body, I wanted to believe this was fume poisoning. Tragically, as much as Lyudmila wanted to maintain hope, the inevitable soon occurred, and she was sadly left a widow. After he died, Vasily's body had to be buried in a metal coffin because it was still filled with dangerous levels of radiation. He was also buried below zinc and concrete to keep the public safe. Lyudmila said, they couldn't get shoes on him because his feet had swelled up. They had to cut up the formal wear too because they couldn't get it on him. There wasn't a whole body to put it on. Two months later, she gave birth to a baby girl who died only four hours later. Her daughter suffered from congenital heart malformation and cirrhosis of the liver, which are both consequences of radiation exposure. The HBO show Chernobyl, based on the real disaster, has become a binging sensation. In fact, it is the highest rated show on IMDb. Most TV shows are thought to dramatize certain aspects of such disasters to make the story more extreme. But in this case, it seems that no mere media reenactment can truly do complete justice to how horrific that fateful day was. The series' interpretation of the disaster has been described by the former Chernobyl plant deputy director, Alexander Kovalenko, as the series more or less reflected the drama of the situation, but in real life, it was much worse. Lyudmila and Vasily appear as some of the most tragic characters in the HBO series. When the show Chernobyl premiered, Lyudmila fell under intense scrutiny for her choice to visit her husband while he was dangerously radioactive in the hospital. She later told BBC that journalists, quote, were asking me why I had been at my husband's bedside, knowing that I was pregnant at the time. But tell me, how could you leave him? I thought my baby was safe inside me. We didn't know anything about radiation then. She went on to say that after watching the show, people insinuated, quote, that I killed my baby. She now says that she never actually gave permission to anyone to tell her story, despite HBO's claim otherwise. She wrote her own story in a book published in 1997 titled Voices for Chernobyl. Though 30 years has passed since the horrible disaster stole her husband and later her daughter, Lyudmila has said, 
There is no day that I don't think about my husband and daughter, not a day that I don't feel pain. But Vasily's heart-wrenching story is only one of many. On April 27th, the day following the explosion, the evacuation began. 30,000 people were in immediate area of the Chernobyl reactor explosion, and a total of 135,000 had to be evacuated. Eventually, 350,000 people were evacuated because of the disaster, and the resettlement is still uncompleted today. Those in the area were exposed to a similar amount of radioactivity as the survivors of the Hiroshima atomic bomb in 1945. 45 REM, a measurement of radiation, was released, which is not enough to cause radiation sickness in those outside the immediate area of Chernobyl, but it does increase the risk of cancer by 1.8%. However, a 2006 study done by the International Atomic Energy Agency calculated that due to the sheer culmination of radiation, the exposure was more like 10 million REM, which likely caused at least 4,500 deaths from cancer. The most harmful radiation from the blast happened in the first weeks after the explosion. Even 15 minutes following the explosion, it was measured that the radioactivity had dropped to one quarter of its initial value, after one day to one fifteenth, after three months to less than one percent. As part of the Soviet Union's radiation containment plan, 5,000 tons of lead, boron carbide, sand, and clay were dropped over top to entomb Reactor 4. In addition, an entire square mile of forest surrounding the site was cut down and burned to try to reduce the radioactivity near Chernobyl, and just as importantly, to stop it from spreading. Once the massive fires were put out at Chernobyl and people were moved, the next emergency became the need to drain the tanks below Reactor 4. There were 43 million gallons of water sitting below the still-burning nuclear reactor, the firefighters who had first responded had actually tried to drain the water, but were unsuccessful. The emergency was that the core of the reactor was actually still melting, and it was heading down towards the huge pool of water that, if mixed, would have caused a second enormous steam explosion. The story is often told that the three men who went into Reactor 4 to drain the tanks of water were heroic volunteers who knew they were likely going to their deaths. Many people believe they chose to dive below the reactor to open a valve to release in order to save their country, but this is far from the truth. The divers weren't volunteers with the ability to choose their fate. Instead, they were workers from the power plant with knowledge of the reactors. Because of their jobs, they were required to do this deadly work. Though they were told they could refuse, the feeling of immense pressure and responsibility meant that none did. One explained that he simply felt that nobody else could properly complete the task, as he was the only person on the shift who knew where the valves were located. On May 8th, the divers arrived to finally drain the tanks. They donned wetsuits and entered the water, soon encountering a harrowing setback that only added a level of difficulty to the intimidating mission already ahead of them. Their lamp went out, leaving them with no choice but to continue their operation in the dark. 
Chernobyl expert Andrew Leatherbarrow, author of 12340, the incredible true story of the Chernobyl nuclear disaster, explains that the divers were met with radioactive water up to their knees as they waded through the dusky basement, walking through a corridor stuffed with myriad pipes and valves. He said of the group's objective to locate the correct valve, it was like finding a needle in a haystack. And yet, the determined divers did it anyway. The group of men are often referred to as the Suicide Squad, as their expected survival rate was so low. One of the men was the engineer Alexei Ananenko, who wore no other protection against the radiation and the radioactive water except for diving equipment. Alexei said, I never felt like a hero. I was doing my job. I was ordered to go there, so I went. I wasn't afraid. Initially, reports claimed that all three of the men had died from the exposure to radiation. But in fact, all three survived. They described their immense joy and relief upon fixing the problem, saying, When the searchlight beam fell on a pipe, we were joyous. The pipe led us to the valves. We heard the rush of water out of the tank, and in a few more minutes, we were being embraced by the guys. One of the divers passed away in 2005, but the two others still have survived to this day. Because of their brave actions, they prevented another, possibly even more deadly, explosion. Aforementioned expert Leatherbarrow emphasized the dire necessity of these unlikely heroes' actions, saying that, regardless of how anyone might try to downplay the importance of what they did that day, quote, they still went into a pitch-black, badly damaged basement beneath a molten reactor core that was slowly burning its way down to them. Some experts on the Chernobyl disaster later explained that, had this trio not stepped up to prevent this potential additional explosion, half of Europe's population could very well have been wiped out from the impending catastrophe. To make matters worse, the scope and range of radiation that this could have caused may have left a huge chunk of Europe completely and utterly uninhabitable for up to 500,000 years in its wake. The first person who fully understood the gravity of the situation of Chernobyl was Valery Legasov. Legasov was a Soviet scientist and member of the Academy of Science of the USSR and became chief of the Investigating Response Commission of the disaster. Prior to the explosion at Chernobyl, he had championed the need for better safety measures at nuclear power plants. It was Legasov who first insisted that all of Pripyat be evacuated, and without his input, the death toll from direct radiation would have likely been much higher. He and the commission looked into the possible causes of the disaster, as well as ideas on how to prevent this type of catastrophe in the future. While they investigated, they couldn't stay in a hotel and ended up living in an evacuated hospital for the mentally ill. Legasov eventually suggested that liquid nitrogen should be put under the reactor in order to try to cool the core. This turned out to be a mistake. However, as the core never melted through the concrete and as a result, this actually resulted in more contamination for areas in Belarus. On April 26, 1988, the anniversary of two years since the Chernobyl explosion, Legasov committed suicide. 
It was one day before he was meant to present the findings of his investigation into the disaster. There are conflicting reports about where he hung himself, whether it was in his apartment, the stairwell of his apartment, or his office. What isn't contested is Legoslov's mental state after finishing his investigation at Chernobyl. He was under immense pressure from the Soviet government to censor his findings, but instead, his documents revealed previously unknown facts about the Chernobyl disaster. Many believe that his commitment to share the truth about Chernobyl brought more stress than he could handle. Following the disaster, the men in charge were taken to court and a three-week trial ensued. The three men were 51-year-old Viktor Brukhanov, the plant director, the chief engineer Nikolai Fomin, and his deputy Anatoly Dyatlov. Brukhanov had become the plant's director at only 34 and was described as a well-liked, soft-spoken man. Before the disaster, his supervision brought Chernobyl to a higher standard and was used to exemplify USSR's success. After the trial, they were all found guilty, charged with the gross violation of safety regulations. The judge was quoted as saying, there was an atmosphere of lack of control and a lack of responsibility at the plant. Viktor Brukhanov was sentenced to 10 years of hard labor, plus a concurrent five years for his abuse of power, the maximum punishment, as the resulting deaths and destruction were seen as solely his fault. Nikolai Fomin and Anatoly Dyatlov both received 10-year sentences as well for criminal mismanagement. Though Fulman received the same sentence as the other men, he was actually not even present at the plant at the time of the explosion and was on vacation. None of the defendants showed any emotion beyond bowed heads when their sentence was passed, even though the courtroom was filled with the weeping relatives of those who had died at Chernobyl. The trial concluded that the disaster was caused by both the flaws in the reactor and human error. But despite this, Anatoly Dyatlov is now often viewed as the villain of the Chernobyl disaster. He was likely the most experienced engineer working at the plant, but he was also reportedly a dictator to everyone who worked below him. In fact, many of his colleagues outright detested him. It was reported that the night of the explosion he knew there had been a large power drop, but still continued to conduct the dangerous tests. Because Dyatlov demanded that the workers follow him without question, no one protested out of fear of disobeying him, and thus, they went on to complete the tests that led to the explosion. Even though Brukhanov was the director, many believe that Dyatlov was to blame, as he wanted to rush certain protocols in an attempt to become the boss. Because of this, he was remembered as an arrogant narcissist by those affected at Chernobyl. After more investigation into what actually caused the nuclear meltdown, it was discovered that the reactor had design flaws that were out of both Brukhanov's and Dyatlov's control. The Chernobyl Reactor 4's design was unique to many other nuclear power plants, and the resulting flaw was that it occasionally generated intense and unexpected surges of power if any steam bubbles in the reactor core were allowed to form. It was this design flaw, coupled with human error, that led to the explosion. Adding some historical context to the devastating oversight, the design flaw and later disaster were a direct result of Cold War isolation. Because the USSR was operating without much contact with other countries, 
It did not have the same types of safety features that other areas were utilizing. The specific design issue in the Chernobyl reactor has never been an issue in other nuclear power plants, and the disaster led to massive reforms in safety for industry in the USSR. The former president, Gorbachev, said that the Chernobyl accident led to the fall of the Soviet Union more than his program of liberal reform. Today, the people who are still living in the vast areas of Russia and Eastern Europe are affected by the explosion from 30 years prior. Though not directly nearby, these areas were still affected by the massive clouds of radiation all those years ago. Children are frequently born with birth defects, sometimes very severe and with rare cancers. These poor children's mothers have spent their lives growing up in areas where the radiation permeates much of the water they drink and the food they eat. They themselves do not suffer the drastic physical consequences though many report being frequently ill and fatigued. It is their children whose bodies display the harm of radiation. Some of the physical defects can include children born without limbs or with painful abnormalities, or even one case where a baby was born with two heads. The greatest illness, though, appears to be the cancers which these children are born with or with predispositions to develop at much higher than normal rates. A pediatrician, Dr. Rachel Furley, treats many of these children in Belarus, and she reports that about half of the 800 kids she's helped have developed thyroid cancer. Yet, some who are originally from the area have actually moved back, even knowing that they are exposing themselves and their descendants to levels of radiation. One such person is a 62-year-old woman named Valentina. Her family lived in the area near Chernobyl, and following the explosion, she had initially left. But now, she has returned to live a mere 30 kilometers from the exclusion zone, along with 180 others, most of whom are elderly. Valentina has said, I don't worry about my health. We don't fear the radiation. For us, it doesn't matter where we die. With a history of tragedy, it may be surprising to learn that the area of Chernobyl has a huge tourist business. For many of us, the idea of visiting the bleak and destroyed area would not be appealing. Yet, people from around the world have come to catch a glimpse of what remains of the town and the surviving evidence of the disaster. Since 2010, Chernobyl and Pripyat have been declared safe for visitors and have since become an integral part of the recent phenomenon of dark tourism. Dark tourism describes the fascination many travelers have to visit places that have seen tragic or horrific pasts. Other areas besides Chernobyl that are popular for dark tourism are Nazi concentration camps or the 9-11 memorial. The Ukraine president, Volodymyr Zelensky, made Chernobyl a tourist area in an attempt to mend the area's negative reputation. Zelensky said, we must give this territory of Ukraine a new life. His official website says that, Chernobyl is a unique place on the planet where nature revives after a global man-made disaster, where there is a real ghost town. We have to show this place to the world, scientists, ecologists, historians, tourists. When tourists visit the area, they have to go through a screening process before and after to check for radioactive particles. Experts say that there are risks still associated with visiting the area, 
But radiation exposure is minimal if people remain in the areas that are deemed safe, as some spots have not been fully decontaminated. Some tourists have been exposed as being disrespectful to the area by taking Instagram photo shoots there, obviously forgetting that Chernobyl was the site of a disaster that ended in a massive loss of life. Tourists are able to visit the Chernobyl exclusion area, but only with a guide, and they can even enter the control room of Reactor 4. They are advised not to touch anything while visiting and to never sit down on any objects within the cordon. Today, the area is overrun with wildlife, including moose, deer, wild boar, and wolves. In fact, the population of wolves is seven times higher than that of other wolf populations in nearby reserves. But the overall levels of wildlife are still fairly low, which is a good indication that the radiation in the area does still affect the animals and plants. All these decades later, the disaster has hardly dissipated. Over 30 years after Reactor 4 exploded, radioactivity still plagues Chernobyl. Though the levels have dramatically decreased, there is still some left today. 97% of Reactor 4's radioactive contents are actually still inside. The other 3% is the radiation that was released during the explosion and leaked into the surrounding area. Today, a concrete sarcophagus sits atop Reactor 4 in an attempt to contain some of the radiation. It was quickly built in only two weeks and is actually currently crumbling. Andrei Glukov, the worker who was at Chernobyl following the disaster, is now part of the massive project to design and build a structure that will eventually be moved to be a shield around Reactor 4. When the structure is installed, it will be assembled by robotic machinery to prevent human interaction with the highly radioactive reactor. Though the project is ongoing, it could take up to 30 more years to finally complete. The last active reactor in Chernobyl was officially closed in 2000, meaning that, following the disaster, the plant actually still produced electricity for 14 years. A spokesperson from the World Nuclear Association has said that, the Chernobyl accident was serious and has resulted in long-term psychological and socioeconomic impacts for the people affected. However serious, nuclear accidents are very rare and even accounting for these, nuclear energy has caused fewer deaths than any other form of electricity generation. In fact, many supporters of nuclear energy as well as professionals in the field urge the public to research more into the positive aspects of the power source. According to The Guardian, the IPCC, or the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, is also a notable organization that is openly advocated for nuclear power explaining that some estimates show evidence that our nuclear capacity must actually double if we wish to have any hope of preventing further climate change ramifications. The same article posits that the scary potential consequences of nuclear energy mishaps as exemplified by the Chernobyl incident have frightened many people into opposing the practice altogether, fearing a similar outcome. However, it states that while nuclear energy has risks, it is also primarily, quote, clean, safe, and hugely efficient. It is still unclear where the future of nuclear energy is heading, 
But after witnessing the devastation that the infamous Chernobyl plant wreaked, proponents of the developing industry will most likely need to do some serious damage control on nuclear power's damaged reputation before the general public will open up to the possibilities of further embracing or enthusiastically funding it. The disaster of Chernobyl has left a lasting memory and sparked in many a fear of the consequences of radiation. It still fascinates us to look back at the best-known disaster of the 20th century as we try to understand how it could have occurred. Whether or not you're brave enough to go and visit yourself, there is something we can all take from the Chernobyl disaster. The importance of learning from the past to avoid repeating the same mistakes in the future, as well as the consequences that come from being reactive after a disaster strikes, rather than taking the necessary proactive steps to prevent such an avoidable outcome.